Hello, I'm Dr. Lanlan Smith, Editor-in-Chief of The Lancet Hematology, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Dr. Amy Desern, a hematologist and medical oncologist at the Sydney Kemmel Comprehensive Cancer Centre at John Hopkins, and she's an Associate Professor of Oncology and Medicine at the John Hopkins University School of Medicine, with a focus on bone marrow failure disorders. A pleasure to have you join us. Thanks so much. I'm incredibly happy to be here. So the viewpoint, which you just published in The Lancet Hematology, asks whether myelodysplastic syndrome and autoimmune disorders are two sides of the same coin. Can you tell us a little bit about the background which prompts such a question? Well, there has long been a really interesting link between myelodysplastic syndromes and systemic autoimmune diseases. And it's a complicated interplay between asymptomatic serologic abnormalities to full-fledged inflammatory syndromes in patients who have profound cytopenias. And there's a lot of clinical and other laboratory evidence to suggest that myelodysplastic syndromes and systemic inflammatory syndromes could cause one another in either direction or have a single unifying etiology from the beginning. And it's fun to think about as we learn more through research in the current era. Mm. Yeah, what I found quite interesting in reading your paper, especially what you're saying, there's quite a bit of research out there, but it all seems to point in different directions. Some studies seem to show that the outcomes for patients who have both myelodysplastic syndromes and autoimmune disorders, some have better outcomes, some other studies point towards worse outcomes. There's the interesting gender balance that you see as well. So what sort of study do we need to determine a more definitive answer, or is there no definitive answer? Well, I'd love to say that there's lots of definitive answers in medicine, but I think that's not as realistic. I think as we learn more about how to conduct clinical trials and do baseline genetic testing, both for somatic evidence of clonality in myelodysplastic syndrome and possibly for genetic predisposition in autoimmune diseases, we can probably better understand how the two are linked, at least retrospectively. In terms of prospective interventional trials, I'm not so sure that's going to be the case. But as an example, a prospective natural history study is going on in the United States called the National Myelodysplastic Syndrome Cohort Study. And studies like that may be able to show us links as we go forward with autoinflammatory disorders. And I think case control designs get us as close as we can to answering some of these cause and effect questions in the current era. So a lot more work to be done. And I think as we find new genes, some of those links will be made retrospectively as well. Hmm, that's really interesting. So in your paper, you discuss ways in which how having one condition can lead to another. Can you tell us a little bit more about this from, from both sides? So it's complicated. And I'll start with the having myelodysplastic syndrome first, followed by an autoimmune diagnosis. Certainly it can go either way. But the concept of perineoplastic pathophysiology is observed with a lot of malignant disorders, hematologic malignancies like MDS especially. And I think there's clearly a group of patients that have adverse clonality, 
cytopenias, and then are diagnosed with myelodysplastic syndrome. And that underlying problem in the marrow may cause a dysregulated immune system and then be the cause of the development of future autoimmune or inflammatory symptoms and complications to the patient. However, it's also possible that the actual changes to the immune system from that malignancy cause a feed-forward flavor of the inflammation. The other reverse mechanism is a patient who has a systemic auto-inflammatory disorder diagnosis for many years, and they have that milieu in their body for a long time. And we know from retrospective series that that highly inflammatory environment can cause a lot of problems with clonality in the bone marrow microenvironment, um, in the niche, as well as the immune modulatory treatments for that systemic auto-inflammatory disorder also has been associated with flavors of treatment or therapy-related myelodysplastic syndrome as well. And so this back-and-forth, chicken-egg, circular series of mechanisms really are implicated in both directions. Mm, that's interesting because not everyone gets both conditions, so it must be very personalized towards an individual's, as you say, their genetic background and, and other factors. It really is the case, and I think that's why we're starting to make diagnoses of unifying genetic conditions that may predispose to both myelodysplastic syndrome and systemic auto-inflammatory disorders. Mm, that brings me nicely to our, my next question about uh, the Vexus syndrome that, that you describe in your paper. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? It's, it's quite new, isn't it? It really is quite new, but it's also very fascinating because I think it starts to explain something that both the rheumatology field and the hematology field have long known. Exactly as we've been talking about, these diseases are linked and not all, but many, many patients. And could these diseases be different manifestations of the same underlying pathophysiology? The discovery of the syndrome called Vexus is recent, and it's really quite unique. It's an acronym, which stands for vacuoles, E1 enzyme, X-linked, auto-inflammatory, and somatic. And it's a constellation of symptoms in an individual patient. These patients have cytopenias, sometimes just a macrocytic anemia. They may have overt dysplasia leading to a diagnosis of MDS, but they also have a lot of systemic autoimmune symptoms as well. Relapsing polychondritis, sweet syndrome, giant cell arthritis, excuse me, arteritis, arthritis, and even fevers have all been associated with it. And the V, as I mentioned, standing for vacuoles, is vacuolization that can be seen in the bone marrow aspirates of some patients in their myeloid and erythroid precursors. And what's really unique about this syndrome is it's caused by a myeloid-restricted missense mutation in UBA1. And this is something that encodes the major E1 enzyme that initiates ubiquitinization. And it's an excellent condition. So most of the cases reported are in men of a little bit more advanced years. And the two fields of rheumatology and hematology are increasingly looking forward to how we treat these patients that share all the manifestations in both disease types. 
Yeah, I think that's one of the things that is really interesting, seeing that sort of cross-field collaborations that we're going to be needing going forward in the future. So um, ultimately, what it comes down to is how, how patients with both these conditions are treated. So um, what would you recommend for a patient that does sort of um, present with both myelodysplastic syndrome and autoimmune disease? So it really is a complicated question, and I spend a great deal of time in the diagnostic phases with an individual human being trying to understand which component of the disorder, be it the inflammatory symptoms or the cytopenia symptoms, are more toxic to them at that time. Because there are patients who have relatively mild cytopenias, transfusion independent, no infections, but have the arthralgias or the fevers or other autoimmune manifestations where steroids may be an early part to be able to control those. Obviously, if the patient really has a great deal of symptoms from their marrow failure condition, the myelodysplastic syndrome, I do move in an efficient fashion to our standard chemotherapies in that arena. Hypomethylating agents are long used there. Currently, ruxolitinib is under investigation in Vexus, trying to control the inflammation as well as mitigate some of the cytopenia symptoms and other systemic issues from the myelodysplastic syndrome. And I think the reality and where the field may be going is that the one therapy that's a potential cure for refractory severe autoimmune diseases as well as myelodysplastic syndrome has always been hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. And, you know, this is the ultimate immunotherapy in many ways. And since it has curative intent for both conditions, I think we're really going to learn which patients warrant this intervention. And as we are better with our conditioning and graft-versus-host disease prophylactic regimens for stem cell transplant, I suspect for this specific combination of diseases, it may come into play earlier in our therapeutic algorithm. But we definitely have a lot to learn and a lot of clinical investigations ongoing. Yeah, definitely a multidisciplinary team effort. You could be seen by your hematologist and uh, rheumatologist and the, the transplant team by the sounds right. of it. So Very much so. But that's what makes it fun. And I really think we can help the patients that way. Yeah. What about for um, patients who are being seen at not such great sort of centers of excellence? When should, say, a hematologist get an get a, get a opinion from a rheumatologist, for example? I think it is such a good question. And for many years, it's gone in the other direction more commonly, that the rheumatologists have had unexplained cytopenias and they refer to hematology. But I think we're learning as hematologists that we really benefit from their expertise, from some of the other immune modulatory style drugs, and also just how to make sure that we're keeping the joints and the bones and any other inflammatory milieu healthy for the patient. And so I'm calling my rheumatology colleagues more and more, especially as I make the diagnosis of excess. Mm, yes, especially as you mentioned before, for an individual patient, they may be much more bothered by the rheumatology rheumatology symptoms than the the hematological ones. So. And often that's the case. Having fevers makes you feel quite poorly. If your platelet count is 90,000, you probably don't feel it. <laughs> um, is there anything else you'd like to, to tell us about these 
these conditions? No, I really think the field is evolving rapidly and even just gaining awareness of syn syndromes like Vexus makes us think to check for that mutation that we might not have thought of before, the UBA1. And even if you're not finding it at everyone, the more you check and the more you think about the interplay between autoimmunity and MDS, I believe the better we can improve outcomes for our patients. Well, I, I think this is really fascinating because I didn't really know too much about the interlinking of these two these two sort of worlds before before you reading your paper. So I definitely encourage everyone who's listening to this uh, podcast to please do read the paper as well. It is a very good read. Oh, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it and look forward to learning more with everyone. And thank you so much for joining us uh, today.